Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good, good. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us this morning. Um, some really cool technical glitches on the front end. That's fun, right? Well done, Daniel, for leading us through acapella. That's great. Put your hands together one more time. Super cool. Um, we also get to celebrate with some baptisms at the end of service today. Put your hands together for that. Really excited for that moment. Just a small plug, um, if you've never been baptized and you're interested uh, in taking that next step in uh, publicly declaring faith in Jesus and you've never done it, um, then towards the end of, of the message and then as we kind of continue to sing, if you're interested in knowing more, we, we have everything you need to jump in and get baptized today. just need to hear your story at the back of the auditorium. So there's your plug for that moment of like, Jesus is telling me to, but this is crazy. So there you go. Um, Hey, listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, We exist here as a church to help people find their way to God from where they are. What that means is is, is that no matter where you're walking on your spiritual journey, our simple desire is to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps, and hopefully introduce you to Jesus. But We also want you to know that this is a safe place to explore, to ask hard questions, um, and to build community in the process. Now, we do all of that by practicing the way of Jesus together here in Boulder. And so there's a lot that happens through community, through our weekend gatherings, and our city groups throughout the week. And so wherever you are, you're invited into this family. Growth Track is the first step in that process. So if you didn't sign up for Growth Track, but you'd like to stick around. It's 30 minutes after the service, like Maddie said, and we'd love to have you join us. Now, we are in a series called The Good Book. You can catch all of our messages back on our podcast or our YouTube channel. And this entire series is building, much like we've been talking about the Bible being a story that's kind of unified and telling one big arc of a story. This series is going to do the same. So in some ways, it might feel redundant because the takeaway each week is going to be about the same, but the pieces are going to come together in different ways to hopefully keep reinforcing that habit. And we talk about it often that what we do most often is who we become. So all of us are becoming someone. You're being formed every day, whether you want to or not, whether it's intentional or not. And as followers of Jesus, the, the question is, are we being formed into his image? Are we being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he did? That's what it means to practice the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And so we're walking through this series because we, we, we live in a cultural moment where a lot of people have questions and quite frankly just take issue with the Bible. There's lots of what ifs and there's lots of, of, of struggles and conversations and you know you go to a, a community college for you know one semester and have one class and your professor undermines everything you thought you knew as a kid about the Bible and can it be trusted and can I even trust the church you follow Jesus and you know you have identity crisis 101 and, and then it never really stops after that. So the series is built, no matter where you are, to help you have confidence, not, not just in the Bible, but in Jesus and then in, and in the relationship we have to the Bible as a result. And so I realize that you're probably walking in with a lot of life happening. You, 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 your number one priority in life is not necessarily, can I have confidence in the Bible, but it's in the background somewhere, and it influences a lot of our approach and our understanding and our relationship with Jesus. And I said this last week, and I need to say it again. I don't think that this conversation around can we trust the Bible is going to fix your, your marriage problems or going to help you in your parenting necessarily or going to fix your singleness issues or going to help you in your current financial struggles or going to help you through the grief and the pain and the loss that you're experiencing maybe over someone near to you or going to help you with the anxiety as you open up your news feed and watch what's happening around the world. The Bible is not going to help you, but Jesus can. And that's the entire point of this series. So, you guys, you guys with me on, on the conversation where we're going? Okay, I feel like I gotta tee it up because otherwise we can kind of get lost in why, why do I care about this? I promise you care. You just gotta stay with me. Now, just to recap from last week, really fast, the definition we taught, hey, what is the Bible? We talked about that last week. Here's our working definition of the Bible for the series. It is a library of writings. This is not a book. 
Even though it's bound as a book like many other books, you don't approach the Bible as a book. It's a library of writings that are both divine and human that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. This is that quote from Tim Keller I gave you last week, which is a helpful reminder. He says, we normally read the Bible, even if you're not a follower of Jesus. A lot of people I know, they open up to Genesis 1 and they say, let's start here. And then they get lost in the weeds and they just like, whatever that was, I'm done with it. So if it's a library, you don't normally just walk into the library, first book on the shelf, you know, the letter A with all the codex stuff. What's that, what's that little thing they call in the library, how they organize it? The Dewey. The Dewey. You don't just roll in. Decimal one. Let's start here. I'm going to read. Right? That's not how you roll in a library. So the same way. It's a library of writing. So we, don't, we, we normally read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. All of us are like, man, how does this help me on Monday? Which is a good thing. But it's not. That's not what the Bible is. Rather, it comprises a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition, how you got into your present condition, and how God, through Jesus Christ, has come and will come to put things right. The big idea from last week, and really the big idea of this series, is that Jesus is both the center of the scriptures and of life itself. If we can get our bearing there, then the Bible becomes an incredibly helpful part of practicing the way of Jesus together. In fact, I would argue it's going to be really hard to practice the way of Jesus together in Boulder without the Bible. But where we start matters. And we said the biggest issue of this series is not can you trust the Bible, it's can you trust Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're walking in, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're brand new to this idea or you're still not sure where you are with Jesus. This conversation is built to help you. So today we're going to start the conversation by continuing in this series and answering the question today, where does it come from? Where does it come from? So, so part of the confidence that we have is not just Jesus' understanding of the scriptures and understanding what it is and its purpose, but where does it come from? Because a lot of people, especially your neighbors, right, are pretty convinced that the History Channel's version of where the Bible came from is the absolute right authoritative measure of why the Bible is not reliable. And the History Channel is bogus. So don't, don't lean everything that you think you know about the Bible on one episode off the History Channel. But let me give you this picture to show you uh, maybe a helpful kind of understanding today of where we're going. This, uh, this is called uh, Drawing Hands by M.C. Escher. Um, and, I, and I heard this from Tim Mackey, uh, one of the founders of the Bible Project, which is a really helpful resource. Uh, throughout this series, you can go their podcast and YouTube channel, incredible videos, all to help you understand the Bible, not only a, a big scope and, and some of the bigger theological stuff, it's all animated and super helpful and incredibly well done, but also like each, they have a video for like each book of the Bible. So like if you're picking up John, like we talked about last week, and starting in John, you can go watch their brief video on John and get kind of the context of what's going on there. So he, I heard him use this, this uh, picture as a helpful understanding of, according to our definition. Again, if, if the Bible is both divine and human, this is a helpful, like, kind of understanding of how those two things are working together. So the Bible's not, we talked about it last week, the Bible's not hiding its humanness. It's not, it's not like golden tablets fell out of heaven or someone wrote, woke up from a trance after composing an entire letter. It's both divine and human. And I think this picture helps us. It's kind of two hands emerging, both uh, drawing each other at the same time, right? It's kind of a paradox, if you will. In some ways, that, that is what we're talking about. The Bible is both divine and human. However, in the West, especially, but especially for those who either have, you know, if you grew up around the church um, or you just, you know, watch one or two History Channel videos, then the assumption is that the Bible is only divine. So for most people, uh, well, there's actually two categories. Most people want to erase one hand or the other. Does that, does that make sense to you? So it's either, no, no, the Bible's only divine. And so then you, you probably met the people that are like, you know, they throw around the Bible and it's got some weight to it and they treat it as this just massively divine book. And, you know, and so then they use it to, to slam and, you know, have, have an approach of authority that's sometimes damaging. And then on the other end, some people are like, no, 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 there's, there can't be any divinity at all because of the humanness of the scripture. So there's only one hand, right? It's the human hand. You, you guys, this makes sense to you, this picture? So, so, what we're talking about in this series is that the, the, the Bible is a library of writings, both divine and human, telling a unified story pointing us to Jesus. So again, that golden tablet's view that, that the Bible is this divine behavior manual. Listen, I, I know that you, you might not think like this. You didn't wake up saying, yeah, that's my definition of the Bible. But think about your relationship to the Bible. When someone encourages you to read the Bible, you think about reading the Bible, what's the motive? Where's that coming from? A lot of people have been taught or are led to understand that the, the, the Bible is this 
divine behavior manual to help you know the rules about how God wants you to live, how he wants you to behave. And if you have the right beliefs and the right behaviors, then you go to the good place when you die. And if you don't, you go to the bad place when you die. That sound familiar? That is the, that is the prevalent view of the Bible today in the West. And you would be surprised at how many people carry that view as followers of Jesus, much less, your, your neighbors definitely think you believe that, right? Like if they know you're a follower of Jesus, they think that that's your relationship to this Bible thing, this divine behavior manual. The problem is that's not where it came from and that's not what it is. We talked about it last week, if we misunderstand what the Bible is and we misuse it. And so the goal is to have the same relationship to the Bible that Jesus had. So what I want to do today is take you on a, an arc of the story of the Bible. We're just going to kind of fly through it together. And we're going to start with the first mention of the Bible being written in the Bible. So, so the first time that the Bible mentions being written as, as by a human. You guys tracking with me? Can we, can we go there? So Exodus chapter 17, it'll be on the screen for you. This, this is the first time that the Bible talks about itself being written. Exodus chapter 17. You might be familiar with this story. Joshua fought. This is after Israel has been rescued from Egypt, you know, Pharaoh and Egypt and the temple, all those, that stuff. This is post that. There's a war going on. Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill, kind of overlooking the battle. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. It's kind of interesting, right? It's a little weird Old Testament story. You guys familiar with this? Kind of like, so this, Moses is an older guy. His hands are getting tired. You ever, you ever tried to screw in a light bulb? And, and you know, or like you're undoing the little screws on all sides and you all, all of a sudden, like it's the worst pain in the world, right? Your, your hands above your shoulder. Or like shoulder day at the gym. You're like, three. <laughs> That's it, right? It's just, so, so Moses is this older guy and he's every, as long as he holds his hands above his head, which I have no idea why that's happening in the scriptures, but they're winning. And then he gets tired and they start losing. And then, so what happens? It's so interesting. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him. It's the best, you know, camping chair that they have. And he sat on it. Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. And this is famously used. The story is like, oh, you need an Aaron and a her in your life. When your arms get tired, you need somebody to come up beside you and hold up your hands. I mean, that's fine. That's, that's, Sure, be an Aaron and a her, right? That's fine. And, and, and his hands remained, st remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Yeah, Bible story for your kids tonight. There you go. Now watch what happens next, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. This is the first time that you will see in the Bible sitting in the pew backs in front of you or the one on your phone or whatever Bible you have. This is the first mention of the Bible being written in the Bible. You feel good? You like learn something new. How awesome is that? You're like, how is that helpful? I don't know. Just hang with me for a second, okay? Here's the question I'm asking as we go through this process. What is this, the story we just said, what is it and what, what is it for? What we just read, what, what is it and what is it for? Here's the answer. This was a story to help them remember who God is and who they are. What did God tell them to do? Write it down so that you remember. So we, we understand right off the bat, what's the purpose of the Bible? The very first mention of the Bible being written in the Bible, God tells him not only what to do, but what it's for. What is it? He records a story of this, of this war and how they went, and it's to re remember who God was in this space and who they were to God in relation. Are you guys tracking with me? That's the first mention. So, so this, again, what is, what is the Bible for? Well, here's one, one reason that it exists is to tell the story of God's involvement in human history and how he's making a people to call his own. All right, so that's, that's, that's one. But this is, not, this is not the first time that God has rescued the people of Israel, is it? We just mentioned it, right? Because didn't he rescue them from Egypt like not too long ago? So let's go to Exodus 12 for just a second. You guys remember this, this space where in, in, um, there, there are slaves in Egypt and then the plagues are showing up and at the very last one, they do this thing called the Passover meal. You guys familiar with that, right? And Jews still celebrate it today, the Passover. And it's to remember that when, when this angel of death comes through because, because of this blood on a doorpost and the meal that they share together, that, that the angel of death passes over all the Israelite homes and the firstborn of all the Egyptians die. You guys are familiar with that story, right? Okay, so this is what, 
what we see in Exodus 12 following that command to have the Passover. This day shall be for you a memorial day. Right, we have one of those, don't we? What's the purpose of Memorial Day? To remember. Okay, you guys, you guys are tracking the theme here, yeah? Okay, this will be a Memorial Day, and you shall keep it as a feast. That's cool. How, do you, how, how are they going to remember? They remember through a meal. They remember through partying together throughout your generations. So over and over again, this is a story that they tell through a meal as a statue forever, and you'll keep it as a feast. So God has already rescued them before this, but here's another command from Jesus, but this time, or from, from God, but this time, instead of writing it down, they're commanded to have a meal. So again, what is it? And what is it for? And here's the answer. It's a meal, this time, to help them remember who God is and who they are. Isn't that interesting? So we have, we have the scriptures being written to help them remember who God is and who they are. And then there's a meal instituted to help them remember who God is and who they are. And then it goes on. So, so far we got a meal and we have some text that's been written. But then there's more in Exodus, round two, where, where Moses goes to Mount Sinai. You guys familiar? You guys seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, on the tablets, all that? You guys, even if it's not biblically accurate, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so you got the big ten on stone tablets from God, right? So, so we have this moment where they're rescued from Egypt and we have another encounter in Exodus 24. Let me show you of the Bible talking about being written. So Moses came and told the people, this is after he's been on Mount Sinai, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So starting with the Ten Commandments, and then there was more to follow. Kind of was easing them in to the process, okay? And, and all the people answered with one voice after hearing what God told, this is, hey, this is what it means to be in relationship with me. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do it. That was the response of the people of Israel after Moses shows up and tells them, hey, this is what God wants from us. And then verse 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. All right, so the second mention of the Bible being written in the Bible. Are you guys tracking with me? A little nerdy, a little heady, but you're still here, yeah? Haven't fallen asleep, need a cup of coffee. It's a little cold in here, yeah? That hot water in that bath, I'm just letting you know, it's nice and warm. Baptism party after. All right, so here's the point. This is why I tell you that. The Bible is not hiding the fact that it was written by people. It's not hiding the fact that it's divine and human together. So uh, what is this? The same, same question. What is this and what is it for? What we just looked at on Mount Sinai. It is a covenant to clarify the terms of the relationship. So it's really interesting. We have a story written to remember who God is and who they are. We have a meal given that they're to remember who God is and who they are. And then we have a covenant to clarify the terms of relationship of who God is and who they are. You guys tracking with me? It's very relational. There's a lot of remembering going on. And a covenant, listen, we don't use that word a lot, but, but you, really the only place you see it in our culture today is in a marriage, right? The marriage vows. Very rarely do you hear the word covenant, but the, those vows are similar. So Danielle and I got married in 2010, and our, our vows are, are, are very similar to probably all the vows that you hear at any wedding. Um, so death do us part, sickness, sick, sickness and health, and better or worse, and all of those types of vows, right? And they're meaningful. My vows to Danielle and her vows to me were a term of covenant where we entered into relationship together under those terms, right? There was exclusivity the moment we made those vows to each other and committed to one another, and then the rings sealed that pledge as a symbol of the covenant vows we made to one another. But it defined the terms of the relationship, Right? I know in the West that we don't take those terms of relationship very seriously, which no surprise, neither did Israel, so there's something to say about the human condition. But the point is, till death do us part is kind of meant to be serious, even though it's not always taken that way. They're covenant vows to define the relationship. Now listen, I didn't make those vows because my wife is a tyrant. There was no gun to my head. There was no forced obligation to what if I don't. There was no fear. It was out of love. And actually, listen, friends, the covenant that I made with Danielle and that she made with me, I, I don't know that I, if I can speak for her, but I can speak for me. So for me, I am a better human being thanks to the covenant and its authority over my life. Thanks to marrying Danielle in 2010, I am a better human being because of that covenant. Does this make sense to you? 
I can't necessarily, <laughs> David's clapping, it's about time. I can't, I can't say that for Danielle, but I can say it for me, for sure. It's a joke. I'm sure she's better. Wouldn't you say? Probably. Yeah. All right. Come on. Somebody help me out here. Just, just getting really discouraged up here. All right. Anyway, so, so listen, listen. There are times, there are times that our covenant vows are extremely inconvenient. There are times when they ask a little more of me than I would like to give. There are times that I struggle to uphold my covenant vows, but all of them are for my good, for our good, and they're making me better. In fact, 2010, those vows have forced me to grow up, to quit staying out with the guys until 2 a.m. playing Halo and eating pizza rolls and whatever else irresponsible things I used to do. So, right, like, it's forced me to grow up. It's forced me to learn maturity. It's forced me to learn humility. It's forced me to learn faithfulness and selflessness. Those covenant terms have been for my good, and I'm better because of it. You know what they are? Since day one, even though they don't always feel like it, they have been a gift. You guys tracking with me? This makes sense. So here we are, Israel, Mount Sinai, the Big Ten drop from from Moses and everybody's like yeah let's go let's do it and then God says cool write it down and it's not a burden and God's not a tyrant he's inviting them into loving relationship and the covenant is meant to be authoritative you see in Danielle and I's relationship because of the covenant we have we are both becoming who we were made to be more fully we could not do that without one another the story of the Bible over and over again, is about God calling out a people to come into relationship with himself, really back into relationship. It's really a, a story of redemption, that it started that way, and things have been broken, and now he's calling them back into relationship with himself, and an invitation to come under his loving authority. It's, it's, it's not tyrant. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's love. And then what's Israel's response? We will do it. And then what do they do? <laughs> they don't do it. It's hilarious, right? And so if you just need to pick me up, go read the Old Testament, right? Those guys suck. I mean, over and over again, they drop the ball and you're like, how can you be this ridiculous? I'm just saying, pillar of fire at night and cloud by day, manna from heaven, water out of a rock. I mean, that's some pretty cool stuff. Nah, Egypt was better, guys. <laughs> you're like, seriously? Yep, maybe, you know, maybe there's something true about that in my life too. So then what happens? Then we fast forward in the Old Testament to the prophets. And the prophets are like the new Moses that God sends over and over again because Israel's not holding up to their end of the covenant relationship. And so they are calling people back over and over again to this loving God and his authority over their life. So can I give you one more example this morning before I I land on Jesus? Can I do that? like you have a choice. Listen, I'm just trying to get a little bit of volitional participation today, okay? I know you feel like you're at some, you know, class at university, but I am no professor, so hang with me, okay? Prophets. Let's go to Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 36. This is pretty cool. In the fourth year, this is one of the prophets in the Old Testament, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. By the way, anytime you see all of that, it's trying to give you dates and times. This is actual historical narrative that you can count on, that you can track. This is not meant just to bore you to death, okay, even though it is boring. Um, The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. What does he say? Check it out. Take a scroll, write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day that I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It's one of the kings. Just so so you don't have to do the math. God says to Jeremiah at this point, hey, over the last 25 years of of you being a prophet and speaking on my, my behalf, I want you to take the last 25 years of stuff that I've told you to speak and I want you to write it down. How many of you can't write down what you had for breakfast yesterday, right? You're like, oh no, <laughs> this is a problem. And so Jared, God shows up and says, hey, the last 25 years, write it down. Cool beans, let's do that. We got it. And then I love what happens next. Look what happens next. Verse four. Then Jeremiah calls his dog Baruch. <laughs> Phone a friend a moment, because this is a lot. The son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. Here's the third time that the Bible talks about itself being written. You're learning a lot today, aren't you? How cool is this? Now, how interesting is it that we see the Bible not trying to cover up or hide that even Jeremiah here in this space is using a dictator to capture all of the words that God is telling him to write down? 
Jeremiah's like, this is a lot. Brooke's like, my hand is already tired, and we hold it. And what's really hilarious, if you go read the rest of the story in Jeremiah, they go and take the scrolls, and they start reading them before the king, and it makes the king mad, so he takes all their scrolls and throws them in the fire. And then Brooke's like, dang it. <laughs> and then they, then they have to write it again. And so here, here's what's interesting. The Bible itself is showing you that it, the, the divine and human elements written by human authors, human dictators, and it's even got revisions because one of them got burned to a crisp and they got to write it again. This is round two. How interesting. Scandal. Oh my gosh, we can't trust Jesus or the Bible. People wrote the Bible, guys. It's, it's, it's divine and human. God used these people. He breathed through them to put it all together. Here's our definition of the Bible one more time, just so you're not lost. It's a library of writings that are both divine and human. You guys got that part? Divine and human. Divine and human. Okay. That together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. There's no power play. There's no corruption. There's no manipulation like last week we talked about. It's not some old guys trying to control the peasants. It's not hiding any of that. And this story over and over again is on repeat. And over and over again, God sends prophets. And over and over again, Israel fails to keep the covenant terms. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. Who's grateful for that? Let's go. I don't even know, but Jesus sounds like a way better guy than the rest of these jokers. So Jesus shows up, and here's what he says. Hey, this God that has been rescuing people and inviting them into relationship, and they keep failing over and over again, that story that we've been walking through nonstop, he says, hey, God is finally coming through on a promise right here in front of you, through me, Jesus, God in the flesh. We talked about it two weeks ago. Here's Jesus' words in Mark chapter 1. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Again, Mark is is the historical narrative account, one of the historical narrative accounts of the life of Jesus. He went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, as in all those promises, all of the story, Genesis all the way through Malachi, all of it has been leading to this point. And if you're a Jew on the scene in the day, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about. This promise that you've been waiting on of God to make things new. He says, it's right in front of you and you're looking at him. And he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe, as in change the way that you think. Yes, it is an acknowledgement of sin and brokenness and the human condition and, hey, we can't seem to get our stuff together and this unique inability to hold together a covenant of trying to be in right relationship with God. Yes, it is that. But repentance is bigger than that of recognizing Maybe my worldview, the lenses that I am carrying life with, the authority that I am trying to operate out of is not quite in line with who God is and who he created me to be. And so it's setting down my lenses and my worldview and picking up what Jesus says it means to be human, what it means to be right with God, what, what our relationship to God is, what it takes to be forgiven of sin, all of that. That's what's in the word repent and to believe or to trust in the good news that Jesus is the one coming to make all things right. This is amazing. And then on the scenes, we watch Jesus, and he's simply remarkable. I'm telling you, pick, if you're not reading the Bible yet, you got to pick it up. Pick up John, start in chapter 1, and do a chapter a day and watch Jesus. And he's simply remarkable. No one's ever taught like him. No one's ever loved like him. No one's ever lived like him. No one's ever made both sides of the paradigm so mad, and then everyone's continually drawn to him at the same time. It's amazing. And then we watch the story of Jesus progress all the way to the cross, which even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're familiar with like a little bit of this story at least, that eventually Jesus is going to be crucified. The night before he goes to the cross, the, the night before he's, he's betrayed by one of his closest followers, he's brutally murdered, he's buried in the ground. The evening before, he and his followers, his closest guys, the 12, including the one that's going to betray him, get together for a meal. Which meal is that? Do you remember? It's the Passover. Check this out. This is crazy. They're gathered together for this Passover. Do you remember what the Passover was? To help them. It was a meal that they ate together to remember who God was and who they are in relation to him and one another. And so as they were eating this meal, that the Jews have been eating for thousands of years, this is nothing, I mean, this is normal celebration moment in time. Jesus takes the bread, and after blessing it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them, and he says, take, this is my body, 
which they've been hanging out with Jesus for a minute, so they probably learned to like keep their mouth shut, but I'm sure someone at the table is thinking, no, it's not, right? This is, this is the bread of Passover, you know? Do you remember Jesus, the story of a God rescuing people from Egypt? And you know, Do you remember that? I'm sure that's going on in their mind. This is my body. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I'm in the room, that's probably, okay. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And it's kind of interesting that Mark includes it in this order. They drank, and then Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant. <laughs> Wait a minute, what's in here? <laughs> Jesus, what is, what's going on? He said to them, this is my blood of the what? The covenant. Some translations will use the new covenant, which is poured out for many. And truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So it's the same bread and the same cup that they've been observing for a long, long time. They grew up, they know this story. And in this moment says, hey, you know that story you've been remembering for a long, like your entire life? It's all about me. And this, this bread, it symbolizes my body that's about to be broken for you. And this blood, it symbolizes, or this wine, it symbolizes my blood. It's not real blood, it's wine. Don't freak out. And it's about to be shed for you, but not just for you, for the entire world. What is this? This is a new Exodus story. Isn't that interesting? You see how it's all tying together? Jesus on the scene is taking the entire narrative of the scriptures and saying, here it is. But who's the tyrants here? Right? The Exodus was about rescue from a tyrant, Pharaoh. Who's the tyrant now? Everyone in the room thought it was Caesar. Jesus says, no, it's deeper than that, and it's bigger than that. It's sin, and it's death, and it's the devil. And Jesus says, I'm here to, come over, to, to overtake and overcome all of that. It's amazing in this moment. It's not Rome. It's not Egypt. It's the human condition that is the tyrant over your relationships and over your mental health and over your anxiety and over your finances and over your hopes and your dreams and your behavior, the things that you wish you could do and don't do, things you wish were right and aren't right, the broken things that people do to you, the brokenness in the world around us. That's the tyrant that Jesus came to defeat. And so Jesus, in this moment, is starting a brand new covenant. You guys remember that, what, what a covenant was? We talked about it. Just like my marriage with Danielle. It's a relationship, defining the terms of the covenant. He is starting a brand new covenant, and he's creating a new people through his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's amazing, guys. Jesus, in this moment, is saying, I'm going to take the train wreck of human history, and as a declaration of God's love, I'm going to step in and take all the consequences of that train wreck the one you see out there and the one happening inside, you hope no one sees. And I'm going to conquer all of it. And then Jesus dies for the sin of the world and for, for your sin and for mine. And then he was buried. And three days later, he is resurrected from the grave and he begins to appear to hundreds of eyewitnesses. And here is one of the major moments after his resurrection in Matthew 28. Let me show you this. We looked at it last week. Jesus comes onto the scene. He sent the disciples on ahead of them to, to the mountain that they would have been familiar with. This is a place they would have gathered prior. And Jesus comes and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth. That pretty much covers it, in case you were wondering, right? In case you're heaven and earth, kind of all of that. It's been given to who? Me, to Jesus. Not to the Bible, not to the church, to Jesus himself. And then the command follows, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is what we're doing today. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, the terms of the covenant. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, all authority belongs to me. Listen, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, who is your authority? It's Jesus we have got to get that straight and right in our hearts and minds. Not He's not a tyrant, but out of unconditional, amazing love, we step into the terms of this relationship. Our allegiance is not to a book that fell out of heaven on golden tablets. 
It is to Jesus himself. It's the Jesus who lived for me, who died for me, who was raised for me. So that not not just my sin was dealt with, which is great, but he was the human that I was created to be but failed to be. Jesus lived the life that I could not live, and now he's calling me and calling you to embrace what he has done on our behalf, that his resurrection life is now available to anyone who trusts in him. That is the invitation of Jesus. And so as followers, we come under the authority of Jesus. And then he says, go into the entire world. And another way to translate that from the Greek is as you go. So he's not asking you to get on a boat necessarily and be a missionary to central India, although he might. He's also saying you're going to invite everywhere you go, where you live, work, and play, your work, your family, your circles of influence, your neighborhood, your coffee shops, everywhere that you live life, go and invite everyone into this new covenant family. This is the invitation. And for some of you, you're wrestling with that invitation for yourself. It's not an invitation to trust the Bible. It's an invitation to trust in Jesus. Now, you need to know, as we we wrap up this conversation, Jesus didn't write anything. Isn't that interesting? That we have all of these authority conversations, that Jesus, we can trust him as king over our life, CEO over our life, that he actually has good plans for you, that what he says it means to be human and to have human flourishing and have right relationships and right thinking, all of that is actually good and true for you. But he didn't write anything. So what is he doing? In this moment when he says, all authority has been given to me, he then commissions this this close circle of friends with his authority. And it's really interesting. He says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. How do you think they did that? By writing it down. And so what we have here is the birth of the New Testament, the origin of the New Testament in the Bibles in front of you. The four Gospels specifically, written by this close circle of friends, is right here. And then what follows is an entire collection of letters written by that same small circle of eyewitnesses in relationship to the events of Jesus' life. That's what we have as confidence in the New Testament serving as authority in the same way that Jesus looks at the Old. And and it's really amazing because you don't just have the stories of Jesus, but then you have all these letters in the New Testament. Once you get out of John, you go into Acts. It's the history of the early church. You'll see God doing amazing things and what it looks like to live in partnership with the Holy Spirit in community. And then you look at a letter to uh, uh, Romans, which is uh, churches in Rome, and then Galatians and Ephesians, all these different letters to, to different cities, teaching this new covenant family how to live out this new life as Jesus followers in the world around them. Letters say, hey, what does it look like to live as a Jesus follower in Corinth and in Rome and Galatia and in Boulder, Colorado in 2023? These letters serve as authority on what it means to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. And they are meant to be an expression. So as we look at the scriptures, we've talked about it over and over again. They are intended to be an expression of Jesus' authority on our behalf. Who's our authority? It's Jesus. We cannot get that wrong. But then we can trust the Bible because we trust Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about this big, dirty word of authority and trusting the scriptures a little more. But here's here's what I want you to have confidence in today. When it comes to the Bible, we know where the scriptures came from, and we know that they're all about Jesus. That's that's all I want you to get today. It's out there. It's open. It's, It's ready for you to go dig into if you so desire. It's not scandal. It's not manipulation. It's not power controlling and mongering. And we know where it came from. And we know it's all about Jesus. But here's the big issue today. Is at some point on your spiritual journey, no matter where you are, you have to make a decision about Jesus. And one of the questions that you gotta ask over your life is whose authority do you want to live under? Because because most of us are trying to live under our, our own authority, even if we wanna call it that, even if we wanna say we trust in Jesus or whatever. We're trying to live in our own authority. And my question for you, I I got my own personal experience of how that's going, but how's it going for you? How's it going as you define what it means to be human? How's it going as you define the terms of relationships around you and your relationship with God? How's it going as your own authority over your friend circles 
or, or the idea of marriage and dating or over parenting? How's it going as you try to be the authority over your career, over your hopes and dreams? How's it going as you try to be your own authority in the workplace or over your relationship to money or stuff? Or how's it going as you try to operate out of authority over your identity or your sexuality or your dreams or your hopes or your desires or your personal worth and value? How's it going as you try to operate out of authority when you come up against strangers and neighbors and enemies? And if you're like me, sometimes you crush it. And you're like, it's going pretty dang good. Thank you very much. And other times you're like, I freaking suck. And we try not to let that one be as loud as the others. We definitely like the Instagram show. Look where I'm crushing it. But the honest truth is we're not crushing it like we think we should be. The other side of that invitation is, what if Jesus was authority over our lives? What if we responded to his invitation of love and we let Jesus and the story of the scriptures and the prophets and the early church and the letters of the New Testament begin to operate as authority because we trust in him? That's what's on the table. And that's something you choose volitionally for yourself. And so all that stuff we started with at the beginning of this talk today, you know, those things that are heavy on your mind, the things that have you stressed out, the things that you're trying to manipulate and control, the things that you're trying to force, the things that are so out of your control, you're just, you're just totally losing it on the inside. The little buzz anxieties that seem to be everywhere, all of that. My question is, what are you doing with it? And what about the things that are going well? How long do you think you can keep that together on your own? How long can, can things stay healthy under your authority? How long can I control my kids into a certain way that they're going to turn out to become the human beings that I want them to be? How long can I control my career path before I lose control and it's not up and to the right anymore? How long can I have the American dream of my own personal ambitions, but then I have no control over maybe the health that I carry in five years? And what happens when I lose control in those areas? Right? We, we can do that all day long. The invitation is not to intimidate or to scare you. You're like, oh no, like, I don't have control. The reality is you're, you're not in control. I'm not in control. And you know that. I know that. We know that. We, we live under the illusion that we have control. Jesus is saying, hey, there's a better way. So what if every day this week, here's your simple next steps. Every day this week, you wake up and you ask a couple, a couple simple questions over your life. Number one, who is the authority over my life today? You know, it's interesting, because as Jesus followers, there's terms of a covenant relationship, but there's not force. In relationship, it's love and it's reciprocal. So Danielle and I, we have a covenant relationship. It doesn't mean I have to live by them. And many times when I fail to live by them, our relationship is experiencing tension. In the same way, as a Jesus follower, you're not forced into this relationship. It's loving invitation to trust Jesus as authority over your life. And so we live in this interesting paradox of every day. As a Jesus follower, you can wake up and, and you can actually live the entire day under your own authority. Or we kind of do that half-cheek thing with Jesus. You know, we're like, you could share just a little bit of it. Hey, I'm going to control this over here. Hey, Jesus, you can have this. Hey, you can have my money and stuff, but, you know, my relationships, I'm kind of trying to do something. Hey, you can, have, you can have, you know, a little bit of God time in the morning, but I'm trying really hard to do this career thing over here. I don't really care about your opinion. So every day we get to wake up and ask the question, who's the authority over my life today? But we get to keep asking. Number two, where am I looking for hope and future? This is a discerning question. This, this helps me to begin to process today, this day, where am I looking for hope and the future? Where am I looking for security? Where am I placing confidence? Like, what, what makes today a good day? What am I hanging that hope on? And how I answer that, I gotta be honest, but it might reveal to me where, where, I'm, where I'm allowing the authority to be dictated. Number three, what kind of human do I want to become? Right? You're, you're becoming, we're all becoming, and, the whole, and a big part of the series is formation. We're all becoming someone. All you have to do to be formed every day is to wake up. Jesus is inviting us to wake up under his authority in relationship with him and allowing him to shape us to become who we were truly created to be. 
Who do I want to become? And the last one, will I let Jesus lead me into that life? Because it's got to be volitional. It's not forced relationship. It's loving invitation. Will I let Jesus lead me? Odds are, as we talk about this, I've been wrestling with it this week. It's been a really stressful week for me. Um, lots of lots of just efforts to control, busyness, distraction, not of a lot of attention to, hey, Jesus, what do you want here? And so I felt a, a, a kind of a numbness throughout the week of me trying to do my own thing and not really inviting Jesus into a lot of those moments, maybe here and there, but then a lot of distraction for me this week. And so as I was wrestling with these questions, Jesus, am I, I going to let you lead me into that life? Well, as I ask these questions, then I've got to create space for it, right? You see, the really cool thing about what we're talking about today is the more that you know Jesus, the more you love Jesus. And the more that you love Jesus, the more that you're going to want to obey him. Jesus says it's the fruit of a loving relationship. It's not obligation. Are you kidding? I get to come to church. I get to love my neighbors. I get to serve my family. I get to give my money. I get to use my gifts and my talents to serve the community around me. I get to love my enemies. I, right? that's, the, that's the posture we could be in. The more I know Jesus, the more I love Jesus. The more I love Jesus, the more I will obey Jesus as fruit. It'll just be the natural byproduct of that relationship. But I only know Jesus when I spend time with him. And that's normally the biggest crux for attention in our relationship with Jesus. It's that four-letter word that makes every relationship on this planet significant. T-I-M-E. The invitation is not to read the Bible so you know the Bible. The invitation is to open up the scriptures so that you can know Jesus. It's not the only place that he speaks. It's not the only way that he speaks. It is a primary grounding point, key to formation and life with Jesus. And so, so don't, don't, don't try to force, I gotta do the things. It's not a divine behavior manual. Start over here. But be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. And I will do what he did as, as a result. So wherever you are in relationship to the Bible today, the invitation is to pick it up, set aside some time, and read it. And it's been clear every week, start in John. If, you, if you're new to the Bible, pick up the book of John, Jesus' best and closest friend and his historical account of the life of Jesus, and start there, chapter one. And a chapter a day, you sit down, and in a couple of weeks, we're gonna teach you a, a couple more tools on how to get the most out of that time. But just read the story of Jesus chapter a day. There's tools in the lobby for you. The SOAP tool helps you process it. All of that's there for you. Your city groups are there to help you and equip you in that as well. So if, we, if, if you're like, I, I got questions, we're here for you in that. Wherever you are, just start somewhere. And if you start reading in John and you don't stop, you'll have read through the entire New Testament in no time at all. And then you can go back and revisit the Old Testament in light of Jesus. But again, all of it's about Jesus himself. So let me pray for you. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, this is just a moment of, of reflection and response. Just a private moment to listen to the voice of God over our lives. There's a really good chance as we've been having this conversation this morning that Jesus has already brought up through the Holy Spirit in your heart and your mind that area of struggle over authority, that area that you're really struggling to trust him. But Jesus, I don't know if I can let this go because I don't know how it's going to go when I give it to you. And I would just encourage you to pay attention to that thing or a few of those things or those people or whatever it is that's come up in your heart and mind. ask the question, will I let Jesus lead me into the life that is truly life? Will I let Jesus be authority over this part of my life? Others of us in the room, as we just sit and we reflect on our story, 
and how it relates to God's story and who we are in relation to Him. Some of you are being confronted for the very first time with the love that God has for you. You don't behave to earn His love. You don't attend church and do good things and hope it all works out at the end. You respond to the love that's been demonstrated by Jesus dying in your place, being buried and rising again, that He can forgive of sins, save us, make us new, give us new life, and lead us into the life He created us to live. And all of that happens in a moment when with our head and our heart we choose to trust in Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God and that you died for me and rose again so that I can have new life. And today I want to follow you. And maybe for the first time in the room today, your heart and your, and your mind are lining up with that truth and reality and you're saying, that's me and that's what I want. And I want you to know if, if you're in a place where you are taking that step and praying that prayer, heaven is rejoicing as you step into a relationship with God and are made new. And so are we. We want to help you follow Jesus in the process. As if you're making that decision today, if you'll let us know on that connection card, we'd love to serve you. Others of you in the room, you might feel led to uh, get baptized today alongside uh, some of our other friends. And if that's you, you can come talk to me in the back of the room. If God's putting that on your heart to publicly declare on the outside what Jesus has already done on the inside. And whatever else God is doing, we're going to take some time to respond. So God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the story that we're being invited into. And thank you that it calls into question every other story that we have written ourselves or that people have spoken over, over us, the false narratives that we live into, the false ideas of what it means to be uh, truly human and to be in relationship with you. Thank, you. thank you that you're reworking all of that and you're saving us and making us new. Jesus, this week, would we wake up every day and make the volitional decision to let you lead us and to be the authority in our lives? And would it become a rhythm as we open the scriptures and we listen to you and what it means to live the life you've called us to, that it would turn into a rhythm throughout our day as we surrender to you and live the life you've made us to live? 